0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 22. I was thinking about the verse last night from Lamentations 3 that says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies will never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God is so good to us. And I, as I said earlier, I have experienced this week, so many ups and downs, and so many times where I just felt so discouraged, and yet when I prayed, and when I called on the name of the Lord, the answer was so obvious, and you just get blown away. If you really are are really paying attention to that, and you see God interceding, and you see God answering prayer, it, it humbles you. It almost brings you directly to your knees physically, like, God, why are you so faithful? Why are you so gracious? And God is faithful and He is gracious in so many ways. And that includes in what we're going to study this morning from 1 Kings chapter 22. Uh, God is gracious in terms of how He leads us. And God is gracious in terms of how He warns us when we're headed down a path that is spiritually uh, detrimental, spiritually negligent, uh, and by extension of that, when it becomes personally destructive. And that's really the, the context for this passage in 1 Kings 22. We're going to do a very practical study this morning about knowing and recognizing the counsel of the Lord. Knowing and recognizing the counsel of the Lord. Now, um, the historical count here is about the most evil king that the Jews ever had. Anybody want to venture what his name was? Ahab, right. Ahab was the, was the most evil king uh, that Israel ever had. It's hard to do when you're holding a microphone to roll up your sleeves. Don't try that at home, kids. All right? So Ahab was the king of Israel. Um, after David and Solomon had been on the throne, there was a division of the kingdom, a succession of kings. Ahab uh, came into power. And he was the king during the time of the prophet Elijah. We know that from 1 Kings 18, a passage we've studied before about the contest on Mount Carmel. Ahab had a lovely, lovely bride beautiful, gracious woman named Jezebel. Good. Jezebel was more evil than Ahab was and way more ruthless. And the thing about Ahab and Jezebel is they really hated God. I mean, let's not mince words this morning. Ahab and Jezebel hated God. They had no desire for God. They had no desire to take the nation in any kind of spiritual direction other than as far away from God as possible. So we would think, just just setting that foundation that Ahab and Jezebel hated God and didn't want anything to do with God, we would think they would probably not be a big candidate to receive a message from the Lord. I mean, why would God essentially waste his time, speaking from a human vernacular here, why would God waste his time with somebody that doesn't have any interest in him? And yet, God keeps sending messages to Ahab through the prophet Elijah, and then here in this passage through another prophet named Micaiah. So God continues to speak to Ahab, even though Ahab is ruthless and evil, wants nothing to do with God, has taken the nation into Baal worship and and away from God, God continues to speak from them. And and that continues to show me just how long-suffering God is. I mean, I know God's patient with, with, with my failure and my sin because I'm his child. And when you're a parent, right, you have to be patient with your kids. You can't go off on your kids every time they do something wrong or, or, or it'll be endless. So as a parent, I have a little bit of human understanding that when my children do the wrong thing, I have to have some patience. Well, God's patience toward his children is, is far more long-suffering than my humanity But think about how long-suffering God is to those that curse his name. Think about how long-suffering God is to those that kill in the name of another God or or that are defiant or that are openly sinful without any sense of shame whatsoever. And yet God is still long-suffering. And if that person at, at any point repented and fell on their face and said, God, I am so sorry for my sin and I trust in Jesus to save me. You know what God would do? He would save them in an instant. He wouldn't say, no, you've built up a lot of problems here. It's going to take me a while to get over that. God's grace is instantaneous. So even the person that's most defiant and curses his name and kills in the name of another God and and declares that Jesus is not Lord, the moment that person would repent, they would be instantly saved. They would be transferred from darkness to light forever because of the blood of Christ. Think how long-suffering God is. If you're away from the Lord this morning or you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to hear that, that God is lovingly confronting your sin, but He's graciously calling you to salvation. He wants to forgive you. He wants to exonerate you. He wants to erase that sin in your life and remove the power it has over you, just like he did for me in 1974, just like he's done for others of you in this room. At whatever point in your life you said, you know what? The way I'm going is wrong. God, I need your salvation that you've given freely to me through Christ. God instantly transferred us in that moment from death to life. And God wants to do that in your life if you're here this morning and you've never done that. Now, there's no question because of that that God's personal. And there's no question that God communicates with us and, 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 uh, and, and speaks to our hearts in terms of what we need to know spiritually. But the key to this is whether we're going to yield to what He says. So much of what we've been talking about over the last few months about hearing the voice of the Lord uh, really is, is dependent on how willing we are to listen I can say something to my kids, and over and over I can teach them. But if they're not willing to receive it, they're just going to repeat the same behavior. It's when they receive it into their hearts that they say, oh, Dad, now I get it. Okay, I understand. Now I'm actually listening. So if we want to hear from the Lord, our receptivity is going to be dependent on how willing we are to receive. And without that attitude of our heart and mind, it's just going to be words that we hear, and we're going to kind of set ourselves in opposition to Him. So we've got Ahab. Long introduction, let's get to the point. Ahab, God keeps warning him. And Ahab keeps avoiding it and ignoring it and not listening. Finally, it comes to the place where there are three different wars against the same opponent, the Arameans. This starts in chapter 20, if you want to just glance back. And, and Ahab now, as we get to chapter 22, gets to the point where he's really challenged. He's either got to continue to ignore, the God, ignore God's message, or he needs to start listening. So let's get to chapter 22, verse 1. We're going to read quite a bit this morning, but we'll try to move through it quickly. 1 Kings 22, 1. Three years passed without war between Aram and Israel. In the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel, who was Ahab. Now the king of Israel said to his servants, "'Do you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and we're still doing nothing to take it out of the hand of the king of Aram?' And he said to Jehoshaphat, "'Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead?' Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, "'I am as you are, my people as your people,' my horses as your horses okay let me just stop there you got the scene there's a town called Ramoth Gilead it's between Israel and Aram which was Aram is where Syria is now if you know your map so there's Israel down here looking at the map Israel's here we've got the Jordan River Syria's up here right above the Sea of Galilee so there's a town called Ramoth Gilead that Israel considered theirs that Aram had taken And Israel wants it back. So, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, lower two tribes, comes up to Samaria, which is where the capital of Israel was, upper ten tribes. And and Ahab's kind of griping and saying, you know, we need to get Ramoth Gilead back. Will you help me? Okay? That's verses 1 to to 4. Verse 5. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? They said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? King of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There's yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He's Micaiah, the son of Imla. But Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. And the king of Israel called an officer and said, quickly bring Micaiah, son of Imla. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. Then Zedekiah, the son of Kaniah, made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you will gore the Arameans until they're consumed. All the prophets were prophesying thus, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Okay, let's reset. Three years have passed since the last war with the Arameans, but they're like a high school couple that can't stay apart. They just keep dating. So they're going to have their third war now, and they're fighting over Ramoth-Gilead. So Jehoshaphat comes up to Samaria, and he and Ahab are talking, and Ahab says, I want to take Ramoth-Gilead back because this is our land. Now it would seem logical then that God would honor his people that if that's their land that they should get it back and that everything should be fine. Sometimes in life there are opportunities like this. Sometimes there are are things that are going on and it's easy to assume that it's logical and that's the door that we need to proceed through. But before we do that We have to be careful to discern whether it is a trap of self-sufficiency or the genuine leading of the Lord, because often it's a very fine line. So it seems logical they take Ramoth Gilead. It seems logical that the king of Judah, even though they were kind of enemies, would come help the king of Israel, that they'd go together, they'd take back this land in the name of the Lord, and everything would be great, and that's what they should do. But we're not sure. And Jehoshaphat senses that in verse 5, look at it. He says, you know what, before we do this, before we walk through that door that seems wide open and, and, and available to us, we need to inquire of the Lord. And we talked about this concept of prayer meeting on Thursday night, that not only should we ask the Lord for His help and direction, but we should persist in asking until He answers. So often in prayer, we give up quickly, we're like, well, Lord, I prayed a couple times, and you didn't do anything, so I'm done. No, we've got to persist in prayer, and unfortunately, that's not what Ahab does. In fact, he doesn't even go to the Lord and ask. What does he do? Look at it. He gathers together 400 men in verse 5, or verse 6, excuse me. He gathers 400 other prophets, and he asks them. And that leads us, we've got a couple spiritual principles this morning. That leads us into the first spiritual principle. Here it is. When we want to know the leading of the Lord, when we want to know the leading of the Lord, it is wise to only seek those who live by the Lord's truth. And let me explain that for a minute. When we want to seek the leading of the Lord, when we want to know what he's doing, it is wise to only seek those who give truth and live by truth. That means, first of all, the word of God. It means, second of all, the spirit of God. And third, people who love God. Now, Yehoshaphat says in verse 7, inquire of the Lord, but Ahab doesn't. He calls these 400 prophets, and then after they say, oh, yeah, Ahab, it's great. Yeah, you're good to go. All 400 of us agree. Let's, let's go capture that city. I love the response. Look at verse 7 for a minute. I love the response that Jehoshaphat says. He says, isn't there a prophet of the Lord that we can talk to? Now, what does that tell us as we're studying? It tells us that he did not consider these guys to be prophets of the Lord, right? Because if they were genuine prophets and not false prophets, he'd say, look at this. This is amazing. There are 400 prophets of the Lord that all agree. That has to be the Lord leading. But, but he looks at it and says, nah, these guys are a little shaky, a little suspect. Uh, you know, I know they all agree, but really, Ahab, do you entrust their spiritual integrity at this point? Because I don't. Tell you what, you guys, you keep on doing your own thing over there and knock yourselves out. Let's get a real prophet in here. Let's get a real prophet of the Lord into the room. That's the implication from the text. These men obviously weren't. So what does that tell us? It tells us that it's useless to discern spiritual direction from those who are not filled with the Spirit of God. That's logical, Right? that we wouldn't get spiritual direction from those who aren't spiritual. That means if we've got friends or family who aren't saved or we're getting advice from believers who are backslidden or or stuck in sin or we're talking to counselors who aren't uh, living by the Bible... We're not going to get any clarity on spiritual issues. We're not going to get any clarity on what the Lord is doing. Now, they may speak to other issues like, you know, our weight or our work or relationships or, or what's going on. I mean, they can speak to a lot of other things. But if we really want to know what the Lord is doing, that counsel is not going to help us. We have to get our counsel from the Word of God. We have to get our counsel from the Spirit of God. And third, and, and lesser, we have to get counsel from people who are walking with the Lord and who are spiritually wise. Because if somebody's not filled with the Spirit, they're not going to be able to tell you what the Spirit's doing. That, that just makes sense. And yet, how often do we go to somebody else like Ahab does and go, I need some spiritual direction. So let me find some unspiritual people and ask them what they think. And they're all like, oh yeah, it's great. Jehoshaphat says, No. That, that may not be the best. Now, why didn't Ahab want to talk to somebody that was walking with the Lord? Well, it's right here in the text. It's very clear. And, and it's, I think, my favorite verse in this passage. It's verse 8. He says, ah, oh, well, was one other guy, but I hate his guts. Don't you think that's kind of what he meant? Not just, I hate him. I hate his guts. I, despise, I can't even stand being in this guy's presence. I don't even want to hear his name. Don't even say his name. I hate this guy. Why did he hate him? Well, he hate him because he told Ahab what he didn't want to hear. And this is the second spiritual principle that we have to accept by faith. The leading of the Lord is not always what we want to hear, but it's always right. The leading of the Lord is not always what we want to hear, but it's always right. Isaiah 55, we quote all the time. It says, God's ways are not our ways. But there's a second part of the verse. It says they're higher than our ways and they're better. So we can say, well, God's ways are not our ways. But right now, I think his ways are kind of messed up, to be honest with you. That's not what the verse says. It says, God's ways are our ways and they're higher than ours. They're better than ours. And then Romans 16 says, he's the only wise God. In other words, nobody else is wise. He's the only wise God. And because he's perfectly holy, he will only do what is right for those who love him. That doesn't mean what we want. It means what's best in his wisdom. And we know for sure that any time the Lord works in our life, it is to lead us toward holiness and to be like Christ. Even in times of trials, James 1 says, when your faith is tried, it is to make you more spiritually complete when we're being humbled by something that's going on in our lives philippians 2 says that's designed so you can learn what it is to be like christ who emptied himself and went to the cross with joy and so you can understand how to be humble and when things are taken away from us that we really cling to philippians 3 says that's okay because now we'll really understand what it's be like to christ because all that other stuff is rubbish so anytime god's working he's working to make us more holy And more like Christ. Now for someone that was so eminently opposed to God like Ahab was. And so filled with selfishness. Of course he doesn't want to hear that. So he couches his explanation. Oh Micaiah, I don't like him. He hates me. Every time he says something about me, it's evil. It wasn't actually evil. It was truth. But Ahab was mixed up, right? Up was down, down was up. What he thought was good was evil. What he thought was evil was good. So when Micaiah gave a word from the Lord and said, this is what the Lord's saying, Ahab said, well, that's evil. I don't want to hear that because it was truth. Anytime we hear from the word, Anytime God's speaking. Right now, as we're studying God's word together, we're receiving the word of God, myself included. I'm hearing the words I'm saying, and I'm praying that the Spirit's giving them. You're hearing the words I'm saying, and I'm praying the Spirit's giving it to you. So as we hear the word of God, as we get the leading of the Spirit, we have to ask ourselves if we're resisting it. Why is myself fighting this? Why am I fighting this? And what do I gain, listen now, what do I gain by not obeying the Lord? We need to ask that question more often of ourselves. If I'm going to resist the leading of the Lord, then what am I trying to gain? What, what's, what's the end game I say to people in counseling as they're talking about, well, I'm so happy in sin and I'm going on this way and cheating on my wife and I'm, I'm embezzling out of my business and I'm doing this and this. And But, but Paul, I've never been happier. And I go, what's the end game of all this? Where, where is this headed? Because there's no way you can continue to walk down that path and A, be satisfied, and B, be blessed by God. It's impossible. God will not bless what's opposed to him. So if we're resisting the word of the Lord, if you're if you're kind of sitting with your emotional arms crossed this morning as you're hearing this, and you're saying, well, this is fine, but when's he going to be done because I don't really want to hear this? What we're doing is we're setting ourselves in contradiction to God, and we're saying, I'm not willing to receive that. And if that's true... We have to say, why? Why am I doing that? Because if we're opposed to the word of the Lord, we have to analyze what we're trying to gain. But we have to understand that's going to lead to foolishness and confusion. But when we confess that and say, God, I've been resistant. I have at times in my life, I have had times this week where I said, God, I'm being resistant to your leading right now. I can feel it, feel it in my gut. And you know how you kind of get that turmoil in your soul, and you kind of wake up stressed, and you're emotionally unhappy, and things aren't right, and everything seems a little off, and, and you know you're not quite walking the way you should. We have to come before the Lord at that point and say, God, I lay that before you, and I confess that, and, and I need clarity on why I'm doing that. You know what happens when we pray that? God will answer that immediately. With crystal clear simplicity, here's why you're doing it, and here's where this is headed, and it needs to stop. See, if you look back at the text, everything in this scene, look between verses 6 and verse 12, everything in this scene seems to indicate the Lord's going to give them victory. Even Micaiah, when he first walks in, says, yep, that's right. Yeah, they're right. Go ahead, king. You're good. But we know that it's not good. And we have to make something of that. We have to do something with it. What's the best course of action when it all seems to come together, but but we're not quite sure? Well, there's a, a third spiritual principle here that I want to give you. And this one's kind of, I want you to just take it in before you write it down and before you react to it emotionally. If everyone agrees and seems overconfident, it's probably wise to seek the Lord again. If everyone agrees and kind of, oh, it's perfect, yeah, no problems, I don't see any flaws in this, it is probably time to stop and say, you know what, let's ask the Lord again just to make sure. Because how many know that majority opinion is not always the correct opinion? Majority opinion is not always the correct opinion, especially when the Lord's direction hasn't been sought out. Look back at verse 10 for a minute. I love to kind of picture the scene as I read scripture and try to get it in my mind of what it looked like. So let's... Let's picture this for a minute. The kings are sitting there on the throne in their royal robes and they're looking all important and all official and all 400 of the prophets are kind of walking around wailing, oh, Lord, oh, king, it's great. This is going to be a victory. And you got, uh, you got uh, Zedekiah who apparently was some kind of leader of the prophets and he's saying, oh, I formed this weapon and we're going to kill all the Arameans with it. It's going to be awesome. And, and, and there's just this, this great scene like, yes. The Lord's going to bless. This This is going to be wonderful. But here's the thing that intrigues me about that. Jehoshaphat and Ahab know that that's wrong. They know that it's wrong. Even as they're sitting there in their robes, hoping that the prophets are right, they know it's wrong. And I'll tell you why they knew it was wrong. Even Ahab, in his infinite evil wisdom, knew it was wrong. You know why? Because he knew he had yet to hear from the Lord. He could ask the 400 prophets, and they could say, this is right, this is what to do. But, but there was a nudge in his spirit. There certainly was a hesitation in spirit. He says, no, wait a second. We're not getting the truth here. We have not yet heard from the Lord. Listen, no decision in our lives of any significant magnitude should be made without seeking the Lord first. I'm going to say that again no decision of any kind of significant magnitude in our lives should be made without seeking the Lord first and without hearing his direction and if it seems like the answer is so obvious and everybody's ready to go we should ask the Lord again to get confirmation that it's right good example of this and you can study this passage this week we've studied it before is first chronicles chapter 14 right after david becomes king he is facing the philistines and they raid the city of Rephaim. And David inquires of the Lord, Is it right for us to attack to make sure the Lord's on their side? And God says, Go ahead. And they win the battle. And then they retreat. And the Philistines come back for more. And instead of just assuming the first answer is still right. And this is part two of the battle. David goes back to the Lord and he says, I just want to make sure that the first answer still applies. I don't want to assume. So, God, they're back. Should we attack again? And God, through a miracle of moving the wind through the balsam trees, says, Yes, go again, you'll get victory. Now, that's not an act of doubt. That's actually an act of faith. David believed that the Lord would give him clear confirmation to ease his uncertainty and, and offset his inclination to go forward in his own confidence. When the answer seems a little too obvious, Make sure you spend time to ask the Lord again. Why? Because the enemy loves to disguise his voice. And the enemy loves to tell lies and bait us into self-sufficient decisions that go against the will of the Lord. Now, that's very important to understand, especially as we get to the second part of the passage, because there's a fourth spiritual principle. And the fourth spiritual principle is that the Lord always honors and advances the truth. The Lord always honors and advances the truth. Pick it up in verse 13. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak favorably. Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that's what I'll speak. When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, I'm sure this burned up Ahab to even ask this question. Micaiah, should we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or should we refrain? And the room, as we see in the movies sometimes, gets silent. And you can hear a pin drop like Ahab's going, oh, please, please say yes. Please don't make a scene here, Micaiah. Come on. You've never been nice to me. <sighs> should we go? And he answered him, go up and succeed, and the Lord will give it in the hand of the king. Then the king said to him, interesting response, verse 16, how many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Now what does that tell us? It tells us that Ahab knew that the 400 prophets were lying. So he says, when, 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 when uh, uh, Micaiah says, yeah, go ahead, he goes, wait a second, stop it. Tell me the truth now. Don't, don't mess around with me. Don't toy with me. Tell me the truth. Verse 17. So Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep who have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I love this. Didn't I tell you he'd have nothing good to tell me? (laughs) Didn't I tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord standing on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. The Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said this while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I'll entice him. The Lord said, how? And he said, I'll go out and put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you also are to entice him and prevail. Go and do so. Therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. I'll explain that in a minute. Zedekiah, the son of Chaniah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, how did the spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, behold, you shall see on that day when you enter an inner room to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, take Micaiah, return him to Amnon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this man in prison, feed him sparingly with bread and water, and until I return safely. Micaiah said, if you indeed return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, listen, everybody. Now, this is a fascinating text. Let me try to explain it quickly. Look back at verse 13 for a minute. A messenger goes to get Micaiah. And they start to walk toward the threshing floor, which is where the kings were. Now, that's an unusual place for the kings to be. And we want to not miss that, okay? Any time the Spirit puts in a detail like that, where you say, why were the thrones at the threshing floor? Be curious when you study the text. Ask yourself, why is that detail in there? Well, a threshing floor was, was... A place where the wheat was separated from the chaff. It was a big, large room that had a very flat stone. And the wheat would be tossed in the air and the chaff would fall down. And and it would be separated so you could distinguish what was worthwhile from what was useless. So when we see the kings are at the threshing floor, which was a strange place for the thrones to be... It's not coincidental. It's not superfluous. The Spirit doesn't just throw it in there to be cute. He throws it in there because it has spiritual meaning. This is the place where the useful was separated from the useless. So now they come to the truth, and they say, we need to know the truth. Is God leading? And at the threshing floor, here comes the prophet of the Lord, and he says, we're going to separate what's useful and right from what's useless. So they come to the threshing floor, and as they're walking there, the the messenger decides to give Micaiah a little friendly advice. Hey, now, come on, you and me, all right, we're just walking right now. As you go in there... I, I want to really encourage you to agree with all the other prophets, because all 400 of them have said, we're good to go. And you know what? You don't, you don't want to create a problem here. You know Ahab hates your guts. And if you go in there and start saying something different from the other prophets, it's just going to create all kinds of a scene, and we're not going to know what to do. So I tell you what, my buddy, he kind of puts his arm around him. Come on, pal. Listen, listen. Go in there and just agree with everybody. Can you hear the conversation? Can't you you see the hopefulness in the messenger's kind of attitude like, boy, I hope he does this. And I love Micaiah's response. He says, "Eh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Tell you what, whatever the Lord tells me, that's what I'll tell him. Whatever God says to me, that's what I'll give. Now that is such an important position for us to take. How can we expect the blessing of the Lord if we are not willing to stand for him when it's not popular? Hear that. How can we expect the blessing of the Lord when we will not stand for him when it's not popular? If we shirk our conviction in order to fit in and be accepted or compromise what we know is right in order to not create conflict, how will God honor that? Jesus was very clear. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father is in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father who is in heaven. So Micaiah says, No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shade the truth here. I'm not gonna nuance what I know is right and what the Spirit of God's telling me I, uh, just just because I don't want to create waves. I'm going to say what God tells me. So he comes into God's presence, and they say, All right, Micaiah, tell us. All 400 have agreed. You're the last line of of defense here. We need to know from you. Should we go? And I'm sure Ahab was stunned by his response because he said, Yeah, go ahead. The Lord will give it to you. And I'm sure Messenger Boy over here is going, Yes, it worked. My advice worked. I'm so glad he listened to me. But Ahab's reaction is so. Interesting. Cause after his jaw is picked up off the floor that Micaiah actually said something favorable. He says, no, wait a second. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Uh-uh. That's not right. Nope, you're not telling the truth. You're you're not you're not you're not giving me the straight word. How do we know that he knew that? Well, a couple things here. Micaiah was almost always The minority conviction. Because, listen, biblical spirit-led conviction is the minority conviction. uh, Biblical spirit-led conviction is the minority conviction. At your workplace tomorrow, it will be the minority conviction. In this culture, in this country we think is blessed by God and that, that we're a religious nation. We're not anymore. We're not We're post-religion in our culture. So biblical, spirit-led conviction is the minority conviction. The Bible has been so marginalized, and Jesus has been so marginalized, even in churches, that, that really believing in this word, really believing in the Spirit of God, is going to put us far into the minority. Do you know they say something like 81% of people confess to be Christians in America? You know what the actual statistic is according to research? It's about 4%. 81% 81% of people, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, and I go to church, and, and yeah. A- 81% of people in polls say, I'm a Christian. But as they dig down into it and really find out Bible-believing, Jesus-believing, evangelical Christians, when they get to the bottom line of research, it's about 4% of our culture. So we are in the minority By far. By far. So holding on to biblical conviction will always be in the minority. That's how Ahab knows, Micaiah, no, that can't be right. Second, Ahab didn't see Micaiah take even a moment to ask of the Lord. Micaiah just says, yeah, do it. And and that quickness of that response had to catch his attention. So it's interesting to look at his initial reaction in verse 16 because it it contradicts his final reaction in verse 26. Verse 16, he says, "Uh, that can't be right. The counsel of the 400 can't be right. Uh, Ahab's not godly. He hated and resisted the Lord. Four chapters before, he had had a contest with Elijah at Carmel, defending the prophets of Baal. His wife had put a hit out on Elijah. He didn't honor the Lord in anything he did. He was intentionally steering the nation away from God. So there was no reason that he would expect that God would would bless Israel at this point. He didn't want the blessing of Israel. So it's kind of interesting that as soon as Micaiah gives the first word, that Ahab starts yelling, No, I want the truth. Give me the truth, Micaiah. It's particularly ironic when you look at verse 18 want the truth. How long are you going to toy with me? Why aren't you going to tell me truth? And then when Micaiah gives him the truth, he says, I knew it. You don't like me. I knew you wouldn't tell me something good. Now, if an evil king like him can discern when he's hearing the truth, how much more should we as Christ's sheep know the voice of the shepherd? We should know God's voice when he speaks to us. So, so what do we pull from this? Let's, let's conclude. You've listened so well. What do we conclude from this? What do we learn from what Ahab does and doesn't do with the direction that God gives him? Look at the final spiritual principle. And this one can be really frustrating for us at times. But it's important for our maturation as believers. Here's the principle. Sometimes the Lord gives us direction in a way that tests how well we can discern the truth. Sometimes the Lord gives us direction, and it's not abundantly clear. It's not, oh, writing on the wall, roads, you're supposed to do this and this and this and this and this. Well, that's clear. Okay, I can't mess that up because look at it. It's right there. There's no way, unless I'm just disobedient, there's no way I can mess that up. But how many know that God doesn't always lead like that? That God's direction isn't always crystal clear writing on the wall. I know many times I've said, Lord, if you just put it on a wall, it would be so much easier to obey it and trust it. But God doesn't work that way. Why? Because he wants to know whether we can discern truth. And here he's testing Ahab. When Micaiah gives Ahab the real message, it has certain characteristics to it that distinguish it as the truth, that someone who loves truth will be able to identify and then obey. Look at it, verse 17. Micaiah gives a real accurate assessment of the nation of Israel. He says, the nation is like sheep without a shepherd. And you've done it, Ahab. You've been the one that have not led them spiritually. And then he tests Ahab's lack of conviction to see if he'll continue to not listen and disobey. And Ahab knows this is the true word of the Lord, but there's an enticement there. Is he going to listen to it and heed it or reject it? And then Micaiah says, what those guys said, that's false. God's not going to give you victory. And Ahab, it's not because God's cruel. It's because you haven't sought him or asked him for any help. Now, if Ahab had fallen on his face before the Lord and repented and turned his heart to God at that point, it would have changed everything, but he doesn't. And at this point, he gets all unhappy and all insecure. I told you he wasn't going to say anything good. And you know what? We're going to double down. We're not going to listen to what the Lord says. Micaiah, I've had enough of you. And Zedekiah goes over and slaps Micaiah across the face. And Ahab says, take him. Put him in a cell. Don't give him anything but food or water. We're not going to listen to him. We're going to do what we want. Now, he understood that what Micaiah was saying was right. He understood that that was the word of the Lord and that these prophets were lying and saying, you're going to have victory. And Micaiah says, you're not going to have victory. You're not coming back, Ahab. If you come back, then I'm a liar. But I'm telling you, this is the word of the Lord. You're not coming back alive. And Ahab says, I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing anyway. And he goes into battle, and he tries to get cute, and he dresses kind of camouflaged, thinking that God can't see him if he's not in his full battle gear as the king. And a stray arrow is shot, and it goes between his armor, and it kills him. Ahab knew the truth, he heard the truth, and yet he rejected the truth because he did not want to do what was uncomfortable for him and what would change him. And you know what? I find that's the state of a lot of people. Know the truth, they know it is the truth, but they don't want to change. And if that's you this morning, you need to get before the Lord, and if that's me, I need to get before the Lord, and we need to repent of that because there's far too much independence in our thinking. And as God is speaking to us, and God is revealing His Word to us, and we have full revelation. Every single day, there is not a day of life that goes by where you can't hear directly from the Lord because you have this book. Say, well, it's mystical and the Spirit speaks to us and I don't know how to discern that. Fine, okay, I'll grant you that. But you know what? You have 66 books of direct, final revelation from the Holy Spirit of God directly to your life. If you want to hear from the Lord and know His direction, spend time here. If you don't want to know the word of the Lord and you don't want direction or you want to do your own thing, then put this book on a shelf and never look at it again because that will be perfect for you. God is speaking to us, church. God is speaking to us, believer. He's directing us. He's challenging us. He's calling us out. He's calling us to be a people of prayer. Now, we can look at that and say, well, I don't know. It's kind of uncomfortable. I don't really want to change. I don't really want to do that. Or we can say, instead of being independent from God, I'm going to be dependent on God. I'm going to be the person that stands up for God and says, God, You can count on me. You can rely on me. I am going to serve you all the days of my life, and I'm going to do it joyfully, and I'm going to do it boldly, and I'm going to have conviction, and I'm going to stand for you because you redeemed me from sin, and I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to live for you because if I don't live for you, I don't really love you. Many will stand. Isn't this a frightening verse? I need to be done. Let me give you this. Many will stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, don't you know me? And God will say, I never knew you. I have no knowledge of you. You're not mine. Listen, if there's something to sober us today, forgive me for ending on a downer, if there's something that will sober me today, it's that. That I could stand before the Lord and God would say, I don't know who you are. You said you loved me. I don't see any fruit. You said you trusted me. You were always in doubt and worry. You you said you loved Christ, you never defended him publicly. Ever. What what I I don't know what you're talking about. Isn't that sobering? God's given us such a gift to trust him, be redeemed by him, and walk with him all the days of our life. Church, let's do that. Let's do that. This is not playtime. The world is getting nasty. I mean, it it is not funny anymore. It's not isolated anymore. It is getting nasty. And it is time for us to live boldly for Christ. Let's close our eyes. I know this has been a strong word this morning, but just, just take a minute, just you and the Lord right now. What's God speaking to you? I know we're all ready to go about our day and do other things, but, but just right now, just 60 seconds, what's God saying to you right now? What sin is he calling you out of? I mean, really, en- enough. He's calling you out of it. What resistance in your, in your control is he trying to break down? What does he want you to trust him for? He redeemed us and delivered us from sin. And if you believe that and you've given your life to that, And you love him, it'll show. I say that as someone who has not mastered this in any way. If we love him, it'll show in our fruit. So, if God's speaking to you this morning and you're hearing the word of the Lord, it's a call to action. We can be like Ahab and we can say, Well, that was nice, but I'm going to do my own thing. Or we can hearken to the voice of the Lord. And follow him. I want to challenge you fight self, fight stagnation, fight resistance, so that you can have an active, joyful, maturing relationship with the Lord. There's no more time for playing around, it's time for us to walk with the Lord. With everything that we have.